Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, you are exactly where you should be. This is Business of Design. I'm Kimberly Selden, your host, and I'm an interior design professional just like you. Believe it or not, this is episode 72. Doesn't it seem like we just started yesterday? And we are going to explore a topic I really love, which is the idea of collaboration, and specifically collaboration rather than competition. Now, I know for sure that there are plenty of jobs out there in the world with my name on them. And I'm positive that no one can steal a job that's meant for me and no one can steal my clients. And there is always room in the garden for another rose, as Leah Ansel says in this episode. And I would say that my belief is very strong and has been made stronger still by some unrelated classes I've been taking recently. I have signed up for some improv classes. I am taking classes at Second City in Toronto, and then in the winter, I take classes at the Groundlings in Los Angeles. Now, I thought this would be pretty easy because I'm comfortable speaking in front of a crowd, and I'm familiar with being a performer, and I thought maybe I'd be a natural at this, but it turns out it's way way harder than I thought. And there are times when I leave class and I think I am the biggest moron that ever walked the face of the earth, but I'm determined to hang in there long enough to kind of get a grip on this. Now, I'm telling you this because there are some things that I'm learning in improv which really adapt well to business. I did a little research online. Of course, I'm not the first person to have this thought. There are thousands of articles on it. And I grabbed this one from the Forbes Leadership Forum. And uh, it's an article by Jesse Sinto, who is a lecturer at Columbia University in Strategic Communications. So Jesse's thoughts on how improv benefits the business professional kind of align with my thoughts. And then I'm going to end with how I'm tying this all to this episode, which has to do with collaboration versus competition. But Jesse's first thought about improv is that it improves communication. And so the basic premise is simple. Improv performers don't know what's going to happen on stage until they're up there. Every scene begins with a suggestion from the audience, or in my case, from the teacher. And the performers start with that prompt, making up a story as they go along. And although it is improvised, the process draws on some principles, the first among them being the idea of yes and. Simply put, yes and means performers accept whatever their scene partners do or say as part of the reality of the scene, and then build on that with their own contributions. You have to be present in the moment. You have to be listening really carefully, and you have to contribute freely. And these skills turn out to be particularly useful in workplaces that rely on adaptability like ours. For example, if my scene partner says, hey, mom, I can't turn around and go, I'm not your mom, I'm your dad. I have to immediately 
become that person's mother. And it might mean that I have to walk a little bit differently or talk a little bit differently and interact with that person differently than I thought I was going to when I got up there. I might have in mind that I am a cowgirl on the prairie and my scene partner turns around and says, hello, Sister Mary, the convent looks lovely today. And suddenly I'm a nun right? And I'm not thinking I'm a nun. I'm off thinking I'm going to be a cowgirl. So it does involve intensive listening and the ability to adapt to what you're hearing. And that is a skill that I need to use every single day, particularly when I'm at that consultation and when I'm at trade day. I'm intently listening not only to what the client says, but to what the client doesn't say and to what the client does. Obviously, improv training can also help with your presentation skills. So if you're someone who feels a little bit anxious about doing presentations, you're a little bit uncomfortable being on center stage, it actually might be a wonderful thing for you to check out at uh, a local community college. Improv will teach you to be more expressive, to show more emotion, and to mirror what your partner is doing. That's another skill that we use in improv a lot. But another concept I can take away from improv is this. When I go on stage with a classmate or several classmates, uh, when I go on stage with that person, my partner, it's my job to help that person shine. It's my job to set that person up for success. The teachers are constantly telling us, don't try to be funny. Listen to your partner and then set them up so they know exactly what's going on. And funny will happen on its own because it does, but it's never funny if you force it. And that right there has everything to do with competition. I see, I see classmates get up on stage and one person's trying to be funny and ignoring what their partner says. And that tells me that they're competing with that person rather than setting them up to also be successful. And as an audience member, that makes me really uncomfortable. I can tell that that person who's trying to be really funny at the price of the other person standing beside them does not really have that person's back. Conversely, when I see two people really trying to assist each other, yes end each other, encourage each other on, go with the flow, as an audience member, I can relax, I can enjoy the show, I can find funny in things that are completely ordinary, and everything works beautifully. So in improv, there is no competition, not in really good troops. Rather, the idea is to make your partner succeed, and then your partner's job is to make you succeed. Together, you're both going to elevate the experience of the show, and that's what this episode is about. If we hoard information, if we don't lift up those designers in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and help them do better, we actually won't improve the industry. Conversely, if we share generously, if we grab a hold of that person who's struggling and try to give them feedback and guidance and share the name of a trade who can make them look good, we're going to lift up the whole industry. In this episode, as I said, you're going to hear from Maury Riad of Fuego and Leah Ansel of Space Planning Technologies. And again, Leah stepped in on behalf of Lori Lazer from the interior design community. You're going to also hear briefly another voice which may be familiar to you, and that's Janine Laudenbach. She is Business of Design's Program Specialist. 
She was with us in New York City for the Business of Design meetup, and she chimes in as we are struggling to get the conversation started. So thank you, Janine, for that. Let me tell you about Maury. For more than 25 years, Maury Riad has worked in the world of interior design. He's the steward, along with his brother, of the Fortuny legacy. Together, they brought this 100-year-old firm online and into modernity. And now, he's tackling the interior design business, working closely with designers and sharing what he sees as seismic shifts in the industry. Fuego is a shared workspace in New York City, providing designers with an unmatched resource library, software, access to top-tier product vendors, and sourcing and business support, even bookkeeping. The flagship space is on Park Avenue, and it's really a lovely lovely environment to work in. I was really impressed. Leah Ansel is the president of Space Planning Technologies, and she is also based in Manhattan. Her mission is to provide original, personalized design solutions in residential, commercial, and hospitality spaces. Now, she's got a background in art and architecture, fashion, and jewelry design, and she brings an holistic approach to every interior project. Before we launch into the episode, let's hear from Cheryl Horn. Hey, Cheryl, what's happening with you today? Uh, not much. Gearing up for a lot of events coming up in the, in the fall. Um, we're well on our way planning the retreat uh, that's coming up in October. But right after, you're actually headed to Texas as well. So if you're in the area, we've um, had a lot of inquiries for this as well. We've been talking about doing our next meetup there. So uh, we have dates planned for the 25th and 26th. You're doing three different cities. Um, but check out the website for uh details if you're in the Texas area. Okay. So that would be, we tentatively, we think we're in Austin on October 25th and in 25th. Houston and Dallas on the 26th. We're looking at a morning, yes. a morning event and then an evening event. And uh, then I'll be spending the weekend with my girlfriend. It's starting to be obvious to me and probably to everyone listening that business of design is my gateway to travel. <laughs> We're making it work. We're making it work. Because in, in March, you're also headed to Australia. Yeah. Am I tired yet? No, I'm not tired yet. This is great. This is great. Uh, Australia's been on the list for a long time. So details are finally on the website. March 2019, uh, Kimberly Business of Design will be in Australia. And if you are going with us to Palm Springs on the Elite Retreat, we now have tickets to all of the cool events we are taking you to, as well as an itinerary that's shaping up to be really exciting. So I'm looking forward to that as well. You'll all see Cheryl in uh, Palm Springs. I've been speaking to the attendees for so long, emailing with them. And in some cases, they've been members for years. So it's um, some of them I'll be meeting in person for the first time, which is great. That'll be an interesting dynamic because we do have, as you say, people who have been members for years, like 10, 11 years, and then people who are brand new. So it'll be kind of cool to see this group intermingle. You have a fabulous week. Yeah, you too. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses plus Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. 
Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. So this is fun. I'm finally at Fuego, Maury. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Did awesome I have you here? Did I invited myself? Well, the business of design, Kimberly Selden. I mean, you are the one that invented the name, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. You were noticing that there are a lot of imitators these days. So yeah, we're fully aware of who they are as well. But I, I was immediately drawn to the concept of Fuego and the fact that as a designer who worked for myself when I first started out, if I could have come to a place where I could share the space with other designers, have built-in collaboration, have other designers have my back, and have a Park Avenue address? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I would have been here in a heartbeat. So what you're doing is really important. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's something um, I noticed for a long time how fragmented, how much I noticed designers were really on an island and thirsty for each other, thirsty for their company, thirsty for people to be sounding boards for the challenges of their everyday lives. And I tell you, putting it all together here if we go, very, very nervous doing it. It was, in a way, an experiment. How is it all going to come together, all these incredible artists underneath one roof? Um, but the experiment has turned out to be a marvelous success, so we're very proud and happy. Well, I, I can imagine that that's true. And you walk in, of course, there's a huge reference library, yeah. tons of samples, so you don't need to run around to 150 places. If you're anywhere near New York City or you could even work from here once a month, I think it would be really beneficial and worthwhile. So thank you so much. And I'm going to uh, let uh, Leah introduce herself as well because you're here representing Laurie Lazier and the interior design community. Yes, I am. Thanks for having me. Um, so Lori couldn't be here today, unfortunately, but um, I have been a member of her brainchild, um, IDC, Interior Design Community, for a few years now, actually. I'm not really sure how long, but um, I think I'm one of the earliest people that somehow signed, I don't even remember how I got onto it, but it started as a, a, a private Facebook um, group, and then it has taken on a new life form on Instagram. And now she is developing a platform um, for her own uh, website so that she has, I think, more control and less outside um, algorithm influences. Um, and uh, it's so I'm going to try to represent uh, her as best I can today. Well, thank you, both of you, for being here. So the whole thing came about because Maury, of course, has been on the show before. And you talked about collaboration and how important it is that we stop seeing each other as competitors and start seeing each other as um, peers and industry collab collaborators. And it struck me that as somebody who advocates for interior design professionals, um, at Business of Design, you advocate for interior design professionals at Fuego. Lori advocates for us in the interior design community. If we can't collaborate and work together, how can we ever convince interior designers it's okay to stop looking at their neighbors as competition, right? So I really wanted us to have a conversation, and Maury, you're going to kick it off because just really this is your fault we're having this conversation. <laughs> um, you're going to kick it off because you feel really strongly about 
about this idea that being fragmented is not only not good for you, but it's not good for the clients who are going to ultimately hire you. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't think it is. I, I think when you, I mean, every business and every industry you look at, there, there, this idea of sharing of information and sharing of values is something I think that's critically, critically important. And when we are in an industry that is trying to market each other, like market each ourselves, we're gonna have to edit this whole thing out. Thank God for the editing part of it. What was your question again? <laughs> I hope I'm not making your life so much no difficult on the editing. So I have we'll no try idea to get what my right. question was. I just said kick it off in terms of collaboration. Well, yeah, the importance of collaboration. and. Um, so so can I shoot the question back to you? Yeah. So Kimberly, where do you see, you know, in terms of collaboration or in terms of competition with each other, how do you think that that hurts our individual clients? So I think when we view other designers as competition, we're not sharing information freely. And that can be something small like what I charge by the hour or how I charge. And that's important because if there are designers in my community who are charging $75 an hour, then clients are running into that and thinking that's the norm. So they actually hurt me. I don't want them charging $75 an hour. But more importantly, if I'm constantly having to reinvent the wheel and failing to satisfy the customer, customer, the whole industry takes a hit every single time a customer has a bad experience with an interior designer. So wouldn't it be better if instead of trying to get a leg up on the other people in my community, we were all practicing our business more effectively, more efficiently, and making clients happy more often so that the industry didn't have this black and blue reputation it has. I, I can't even think the last time I was at a dinner party where somebody wasn't complaining about a renovation. Yeah. Like, honestly, yeah. when have you ever gone to a party and somebody said, oh, I just love my interior designer. I just love my contractor. Yeah. Instead, what you hear is they're late, they're not on time, they're not on budget. So business of design's philosophy is if you're going to be in this business, you have to be at the very least on time and on budget mm -hmm. and if you don't know how to do that then find a group of peers that can help you do that yeah yeah right does that make sense yeah absolutely it makes a ton of sense I, I think um, we can help each other build better businesses and I think when we all do run better businesses the whole industry will be elevated for sure yeah I mean there's no doubt about that part of it um, did you find when people were signing up to um, take space at Fuego that they were concerned about having another designer beside them, maybe overhearing their conversations, finding out who their clients are, figuring out their sources? Have you, how much of that have you had to overcome? You know, to be honest with you, I think any designer that has approached us has understood that being on an island is more damaging than being in a collaborative environment. That the power of competition or how can I beat and crush my, you know, you know, my colleagues for more projects, there's very, very little upside to that. And there's plenty of business to go around for all of us. And that to come into an environment where I can get strategic information about my business, where I can be around other successful peers of mine and see the way they've done it, um, to just have access to this incredible wealth of shared knowledge that happens inside the studio, they've seen that that is a much, much more powerful concept. And quite frankly, a lot more fun yeah. than trying to figure it out on your own and trying to yeah, compete on your absolutely. own. It just simply doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's such a lonely business. Isn't that what you guys are finding at IDC, that well, people are just so isolated? Yes, what's wonderful about IDC is 
um, you know, that it really had, it's a safe place for designers to get, you know, on in, on their computer or the phone, whatever, um, and pose questions to each other and ask each other, well, how do you handle this? Or what do you charge? Or how does your propose? Very specific questions that in the past have really been taboo, that you didn't ask other designers, oh, what do you charge? And how much is your retainer? And what source are you? And it's just become this safe open forum that is a wealth of information. Everybody's really open to sharing because it is closed to professionals and um, we are all just willing to help each other out and I think that it helps the industry out because it is kind of self-correcting and self-creating some standards. You know, some people are saying, oh, well, I'm only charging 75 an hour. Someone else saying, I charge 275 an hour. Well, where do you live? You know, so some of it's demographics, but it's also bringing everybody together. It's just putting, it's putting a light on everything. Mm-hmm. And it really does help everybody out. And, um, you know, as you said, Maury, you know, there's always room for another rose in the garden, right? I mean, everybody, we're all interiors people, but we all have different skill sets and we all have the different right clients. Um, and sometimes people even share clients. I have someone so this isn't the right project for me. Maybe someone in this area can take it. And it's been just fantastic. So here's one of the challenges. We launched Business of Design in 2005, and I will never forget the first time I spoke to a group of designers. It was nothing formal. It was just me sharing what I had learned from the business coach I hired. And I asked the question, for example, what do you guys charge? And there was dead silence. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to say it. Mm-hmm. So fast forward 2018, and now when I go and I speak and I ask that question, people are much more willing to share that information. For me, the next thing is about sharing trade and resources. That seems to be the next place where we're really stuck. If I come to you and I say, I need a plumber and I'm in South Carolina, will you give me your plumber? There's still that reluctance. Wow, do you really find that still, Kimberly, where people are protected? Because, I, you know, we try to speak. You know, my, my company that I ran for 20 years, it's still my company, Fortuny, um, is this really protected art form out of Venice, Italy. And if designers were going to protect other designers from knowing about the art form of Fortuny, you end up hurting these artisans. You end up hurting these people that are actually the ones. I mean, I have a saying here that a designer is only as good as their vendors. Mm-hmm. And I, I think any designer would probably admit that that is and in fact contractor. the case. And right. your contractor, mm-hmm. for sure. So um, I, I think when you protect your sources, you inadvertently hurt those sources that you're trying to protect. Right. And in a way, are kind of accelerating their obsolescence in a way. It's, it's really true. And now where it's different, the, of course, we, we must have specified uh, over the course of our interior design business, I must have specified 18 Fortuny lamps because that was there was a time when every client was asking for that by name, right? It's that such a so beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, product. You can't really keep that a secret because once you're published and it's in a magazine, everybody's going to rush out. But what I'm specifically talking about of your plumber, your electrician, your painter, those seem to be traits. People still seem to be more protective about that. Now, Do you think it's an issue of kind of like your, of the babysitter? You don't want to tell your friends about the babysitter because then they won't be yes. available for you? I do. I do. And you're I mean, literally that, what you said, reason, you're starving that tradesperson to death. By not letting them work for other people. Completely. Which is I, will, completely. I feel much more comfortable personally giving references for other tradespeople to other designers. I don't feel comfortable 
giving them to clients. Never. Never. <laughs> because, no. That Never. Hire but, a designer um, and they will tell you who to use. Yeah. Well, of course, yeah. that would be like going to the steakhouse here in the city and then asking them, oh, by the way, who's your butcher? Exactly. So I never have to come here and pay exactly. $55 a steak again. I can right. just make it at home. But there is a lot of exchange of this kind of information also um, in the IDC community. And a lot of times it's for people who are doing a project in a new location. And they're not, they just don't have, um, you know, the, the resources there. So right. because it's online and there are people all over, a lot of, you know, people will step up and, and give local references, which is, again, just, you know, so amazing. So it's starting to happen, I guess, is what we're seeing. Yes. Is it's starting to happen that people are loosening up a little bit. Oh, and people ask for, um, for vendors and, oh, the, posting pictures of material or a chair where can I get this? Does anybody know who this is? And yeah. 20 people respond like that. Yeah. yeah. It's very, very, um, just incredibly collaborative and open right now. Yeah, I mean, at here, here at Fuego, I mean, freely, 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 sources are, change, are shared. Mm-hmm. They yeah. really, really are freely shared here within the, uh, Beyond Designers. It's just, I, I think it's, people are just beginning to understand that, that that's just a much better way to do things. Yeah. I it's honestly, fun too. if I was just starting out and I lived in a community that didn't have Fuego, I would start it. I know another designer in Calgary. She's got a company called 7070. It's similar. Um, and the atmosphere there is just so different than the atmosphere of being alone in your home office pulling your hair out because you can't solve the problem that just came your way, right? Sure. You have all these people around immediately to go, oh, don't worry, this is going to work out. Have you thought of trying this or this or this? So when we talk about the power of we, what are some other areas that you think designers need to rely more heavily on people around them for and not go it alone? I see a lot of designers trying to reinvent the wheel, for example, around what contract to use or um, how, you know what I mean? Like, are there other areas you're seeing at Fuego, like maybe side collaborations you didn't see coming that just started happening organically? Well, I think one that's really, really shocking to me is how much collaboration is happening around the art form, around having these other brilliant artists around them, mm-hmm. how good a feeling that is to go up and say, hey, you know, I'm looking at this scheme for this client. What do you think of what I'm doing here? Am I headed in the right direction? That is probably the one that has shocked me more than any, and the most common one that is here as well, is other designers going up to other brilliant designers, bearing their souls, which is their art form, and saying, look at it, tell me it's ugly or tell me it's great, and how that actually elevates the art form. And we know, and you're in the business of design, you probably agree with me that interior design is 75% strategic, and 25% of it's aesthetic. So that strategic part of it is where I thought so much more of the collaboration was going to happen here. So much more of the collaboration has happened here on the art side. That's exciting. Which is really, really fascinating. And see, again, that benefits the client, don't you think? Because they're oh, going to get gosh. a result that's superior. And they don't have to pay double the uh, amount per hour. <laughs> that's right, that's, that's right. twice the amount of work for half, yeah. the, uh, half the money. Your formula is close to business of design. We say 80% business, 20% creative. <laughs> okay. So you gave an extra 5% to creative. So oh, right. that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, okay. The, the other thing that um, we talk about a lot is the fact that many of the designers who are members of business of design, probably interior design community and definitely Fuego are single sole proprietors. They're all by themselves. So Fuego and what you've done here kind of solves some of the problem. But for those designers who are listening who are working for a home, they're all by themselves. One of the things I 
tell them is to think of the suppliers and the vendors and the trades that they use as part of their team so that they're not alone anymore. They're now part of a we. How do you guys feel about that? Well, I agree with what you said earlier that you know this can be a very isolating business if we have our own business. Um, and that was another thing that I loved about IDC. If, you know, For example, by yourself, you've had an issue with a client or a vendor or whatever, and you you don't have anybody to um, use as a sounding board. And so you can get into, you know, on the page or go on to Instagram and write out the situation. I just had this crazy situation, and people will immediately give you feedback based on, you know, we've all gone through the same challenges, and mm-hmm. it happens in any business. Um, so that is super helpful to just have you know, an immediate sounding board. They're, it's so supportive. People will give you advice mm-hmm. based on what they've been through. So it's really essential for, you know, you are maybe still sitting in your office by yourself, but you feel that you're surrounded by, and it's in real time. Yeah. So it, it's just, it, yeah, it really, really makes a big difference. What if I dare say this? What about bad advice? What do you do. That's an awesome question. <laughs> you don't have to agree with that, right? <laughs> That's a very good like question. Like, if it's 80% business and 20% creative in terms of advice, what's the formula, do you think, in terms of what's good advice and what's bad advice? Well... Online, I mean, just randomly on online. Well, I would say be certainly dubious of advice you get from someone that, you know, perhaps that's the only piece of advice you've gotten. I think what's fascinating, certainly, about IDC is when there is some advice that's being thrown out there, you will get 10, 15, 20 responses. I think if you're just posting somewhere and getting one piece of advice from some random person, I think you have to use your best judgment on whether that advice resonated with you and it's advice you want to take. You have to be very careful taking advice from people as well that don't, and I think it's a good saying about be careful about who you take advice from or never take advice from someone that's not invested with you. Right. You know, that's very dangerous advice to be taken. Right. Or never take advice from... If the person giving you the advice doesn't have to pay the consequences of it. Oh, that's better. So, Did you just coin that? No. Is that going to be I a could. Wikipedia? And as you can see, I have no memory. <laughs> it took me three times to get it right. So, I, But it got better every time. That's what I like about oh, you, more. It got good. better every single Fine, time. Good, good. Um, one of the things I liked about IDC, though, is Lori is kind of a governing voice and has mm-hmm. a lot of sense and reason. So I see her sometimes lead the conversation, and I think that's important, right? I think yes. it's important. It's like going into a great store, and you know the buyer is really smart and has bought things that really speak to the brand, as opposed to a store like you know TJ Maxx, where it's just whatever fell off the truck. Um, sorry, TJ Maxx, if you're listening. I guess there goes <laughs> that sponsorship deal we were talking about, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, and the other place I tell people to look for a partner is inside your contract. Your contract really should protect you and have your back yeah. so that no matter what happens on the job site, you know you can sleep at night and you're not going to the big house. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I think that's a place where collaboration can definitely come in. I mean, if the industry could, you know, give us a certain standard of selling our services, a certain contract of selling our services, I, I think... That is probably the single biggest way we could grow that grow our industry. I spoke a lot about that. Um, I've been speaking a lot about it. It's not necessarily that our fee structures are wrong or we're charging the wrong amounts. It's that we're all, like you mentioned earlier, Kimberly, we're all giving different messages to the consumer and creating confusion. Yeah. And that messaging is absolutely hurting our businesses and making it much harder for us to be hired, especially when compared against 
online services now that are very transparent in the way they price and are very clear even with infographics of exactly how we charge and why we're charging the way we charge. You now go out to the market of independent interior designers where I think you're going to get a better quality of product. To be honest with you, you're going to get an invested small business owner in America you know, working on your project for you. I think that's a great place to get you know, your design. Um, you are hurt by these mixed messages you're hearing from all over the place. I think the profession needs to be licensed in the United States of America. I really, really, really do believe that the interior design industry should be licensed. You shouldn't just be allowed to call yourself an interior designer just because you woke up in the morning and moved some furniture and now I'm an interior designer. That's very damaging as well to our industry. Right. There should be some kind of licensing that is acknowledged and accepted out there um, in the universe where clients can go and say, hey, you know what? That guy's licensed. I can at least trust him to run a certain form of business for me and trust him with my money to design my home. Um, I think that's critically important. So licensing, I think, is important. The way we do our contracts, I think we should be standardized around it. Look, there are hourly, fixed fee, all of that. Some projects and some clients are better to be one way than others. I I think it's very dangerous to try to say this is the fee structure to end all fee structures. We're we're probably having an easier time finding out the meaning of life than trying to find the fee structure (laughs) that's going to work economically for all design firms and all clients. Because design firms, too, have different processes, different artistic processes. You know, one firm may need four people to do a million-dollar job because of the designer's process, where I've seen one designer working one day a week doing a million-dollar job. Mm-hmm. So that those have different cost structures, those different businesses. Mm-hmm. They have different value propositions that they're presenting to their clients. They shouldn't have the same fee structure. It doesn't make any sense. Well, wouldn't they have the same fee structure if what you're selling is the result? If the result is the million-dollar project finished and beautiful... Does it matter to the client if that was done by one designer or done by a team of seven designers? I think it depends on the value proposition you're selling. So if the team of seven designers is selling you A to Z, white glove service, I'm going to take care of all your logistics, all your shipping, your invoicing, you're going to get billing reconciliations on a weekly basis, you're going to be on this client portal, I'm going to come to your site, then yeah, that design firm is offering a different level of service, they're giving you a different value proposition than the single designer who maybe will be working with you closely to design your home hand-in-hand, but is not offering all those other ancillary services that another client may want. But if that single designer was offering all those ancillary services, then they could charge the same amount. I I, I never like to think of the idea of limiting that person who's effective and efficient and is really good at their job just because they're one person and they don't have the same overhead. It's okay to be way more profitable. I think it's more than okay to be way more than profitable. I mean, look... I knew you did. I knew you did. I I can hire um, one artist to do my portrait and pay him a thousand dollars and hire another artist and pay him a million dollars to do that portrait and that piece, that million dollar portrait it just aesthetically speaks to me me as a client that aspirational side of me he's like okay i'm going to spend a million dollars for right. it that's that's perfectly fine i don't think there should be any limit on this art form of how much we charge for it right at all i mean if stephen gambrell who is this brilliant designer here in new york city yes he is. if he can command five million dollars for a home and there's a client willing to pay for it 
because they want his art form and his unique art form. That's right. That's good business. You go, Stephen. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's <laughs> absolutely nothing wrong with yeah. that. Okay, good. Okay, so we we violently agree. That's what I'm hearing around the table. <laughs> we violently agree. But I want to get back to this idea of industry standards. Even though every project is different, I, I think of photographers. I think photographers have done something really right. They take a photograph of a room that you've designed. You pay them for the rights to use that photograph, but they own that photograph. And that's an industry standard. And when you hire a professional photographer to shoot your rooms, you know you have to work with that standard. So there must be things as designers. Yes, I agree. We want licensing for interior designers. I think we want licensing for decorators too. Different type of performance, but I think they have just as as an important job and stagers as well. So maybe licensing is one thing. What about fee structures? What if those fee structures were more commonly known and agreed that superstars like Stephen Gambrel get to you know, fly out of the galaxy when and if they can? Um, contracts, that would be another thing that it would be nice if there was some sort of standard Definitely. in terms of what should be in your contract to protect the client and to protect you. Are there other things that we need standards on? You know, it's so tricky because, as Maury said earlier, you know, every project is so unique. There are, it's always a unique set of dynamics. And, you know, using New York City as an example, doing an apartment in New York City is going to be a completely different experience than doing a, a home in the suburbs. Um, they're just two completely different animals, and the costs in the city are completely in a, on another dimension than they are when you go out of Manhattan. But you know, aside from costs, just every project is new. Even though you know I've been doing this for almost twenty years, and I still learn something new on every project, and it's still a completely new animal every time. It's a different space, it's different people, different personalities, different needs, different desires, different budgets. You kind of do have to reinvent the wheel every time. Um, so I have to, I have a prototype for a contract, but I have to really personalize it for every project. So it is extremely tricky, which is why ASID has 12, you know, versions of mm-hmm. what can be, um, you know, a template. There can't, uh, just, and again, it's an art and a business. So very hard to confine art. So I feel like I'm going to play devil's advocate here, but I think you can have a single contract that speaks to every single job and every single scenario, and I think I have one at Business of Design, and I've been using it a long time, and so have a lot of other people. Oh, God bless you. And it's no written for a third grader, <laughs> so anybody can understand it. So when my clients, who have way more money, potentially, than I do as the interior design professional, have a team of lawyers, it's very clear that they understood the rules before we went into the agreement. That's really important. So if you can't understand the legalese in your your contract is of no value at whatsoever mm-hmm. to you. So that's like a non-starter for me. But the other thing is, I know exactly what you're saying, Leah, because when I first hired my business coach, that's what I said. Every project is different. And every and she said, no, you've got to start thinking of yourself like a Starbucks where you're selling an experience that can be repeated effortlessly every single time. So that that's where the standardization happens, right? In the experience, not in the aesthetics. That's the art. But in the business side, you bill on a regular basis. You you know, whether the industry should oh, start definitely. billing once a month. 
Because I think that's part of the licensing. As okay. part of the licensing, yeah. these are the tools that you have to put in place to your business. Absolutely, okay. the transparency. That's uh, the paperwork you should be keeping as backup for everything that's happening. How yes. quickly you should be getting paid for items. Yes. All these things absolutely should be. A so part that's of it. under your umbrella of licensing. Definitely. So licensing sounds like for you that would be like the biggest part of this. A hundred percent. I think licensing you have to adhere to a certain set of practices and policies in terms of the way that you bill. You, you, it's it's a part of it. Yeah. And all great firms are already doing it. Yeah. I think any great business and it is many 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 great interior design businesses that are already operating with such impeccable levels of you know paperwork documentations. The billing is perfect. The purchase orders yeah. are perfect. There's policies around everything. It's amazing. The issue is that that information doesn't get shared. Yes. It's kind of proprietary information for that firm. Yeah. Well, that that's what we share at Business of Design, exactly yeah. how to do that. So yeah. that there are standardized rules, and every single client knows they're going to get this experience, even though their rooms, their homes are going to look completely different every single time. Definitely. So we okay. So we agree. There's so there's more work to be done, even though we've yeah. made some progress in the industry. But these shared well, spaces, you, if, if I go, think, if we go software, what we did in in building the space, we didn't just build the space. We built a piece of software because we felt that you know the community needed somewhere else to collaborate. So we built a piece of software. Software that runs interior designers businesses for them from you know at a from A to Z and it helps them with the purchasing the billing um, it's project management software is essentially what it is so that software um, I think that's it, it doesn't even need to be something that's learned if you implement the correct tools in your office and follow those tools the way they should be you know the way they were designed or use the companies that built those tools to help you then I, I think that's one great way to start just lay down your infrastructure with a, a good piece of working software. Yeah. That's going to give you a point of view. It's going to give you access to a community, and it's going to push you in the right direction. Especially with a company that, you know, you want to be able to rely on a company that has your back and is not going to then go forward and sell that information in some nefarious way you didn't anticipate. I'm not naming names. Sure. Anyway. No, I think you do We're have to be here. very careful. <laughs> you have to be very, very careful, of course, with um, where that data is stored. And I know interior designers don't have many options uh, for software these days, I would hope that anyone listening today would take a look at uh, Fuego software. We're very, very proud of what we've created. Uh, we've built it all in-house here with our engineers. We have an unbelievable engineering team that sits side by side with our designers. It's growing by leaps and bounds. It wasn't the original part of our business. Right. I've been into software all my life, and I just built it as an ancillary tool for our studio, and it gained popularity very quickly. Um, and now it's being released to the wider interior design market. So I encourage any designer listening to come take a look at our tool and reach out to us. Uh, we're happy to speak to you about that. But um, there are not many options these days for places to go, certainly places that you can trust with your data in light of everything that's been happening. Um, certainly with Facebook has really pulled up the curtains on what's going on really with how these companies use that data. Yeah. So we should be careful. And I think, again, that's probably where collaboration comes into play again. Through collaboration, I think we can protect each other and in a way almost form, let's call it like a union you know, a union where we protect each other, have each other's backs, um, and hopefully we rally around the common cause. That's it. It's a union. That's what I'm looking for. And thank you for inviting us into Fuego. And by the way, uh, for everyone listening, the links to how to get in touch with Fuego, the links to the software that will be there, as well as the links to get in touch and be part of the interior design community or IDC. We want these two organizations to continue to grow and thrive because we really appreciate what you do for the industry and uh, love you. love having you in my life. So thank you guys so much for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. You so much.
Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community. If you love what we do, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast and rating our efforts. Remember, you can be a part of the podcast by sharing your comments, ideas, and questions via the BOD hotline at 416-780-9187, extension 107, or by sending an MP3 file to info at businessofdesign.com. And when you're ready to transform your business and your life, sign up for a monthly or annual membership. Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today. Start today.